Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. It's nice to know you all survived your families. I know we survived ours over the Thanksgiving holiday. This morning, I want us to look at something uh, that is very appropriate for the season that we're in. I want us to focus on ingratitude. And in any relationship that we're in, nothing quite stings like ingratitude. And it stings because it's the exact opposite of what we feel like we ought to get or what we expect or what we deserve. Think about it for just a minute with me. If we help somebody, if we go out of our way to give them some kind of help, time, energy in our lives, like helping them move from a third-story condo, right? Maybe we buy them something. Maybe it's a gift or a nice dinner. The truth is, when we do something like that, we, even though we say we don't, we do have an expectation that we'll get something in return. It's small, and it's insignificant until it goes missing. What we expect is gratitude. And when our generosity is met with ingratitude, it hurts. Here's another weird thing about ingratitude. It seldom sneaks up on us, surprises us. If you're in a relationship with someone, family, friend, significant other, and they're ungrateful, it's not a surprise to you this morning. This won't be the first time you've thought about it. We can put our finger right on the nerve they step on every time we do something for them, and they're ungrateful. We're always aware of it. In fact, the only time we're not aware of ingratitude is when we're the ones being ungrateful. When it's you or me, we can go along in that relationship thinking like everything is fine, thinking like everything is good. We're making progress in our friendship, in our relationship, until one day that friend, that family member sits you down and says, you know, I just don't feel like you appreciate me. Ever had that said to you? It hurts. It stings when people say that. We're accused of being ungrateful. Usually the first thing we think of is, no way, I'm grateful. I appreciate how you love me. I appreciate how you stand by me. I appreciate all the things that you do for me. The problem is we haven't expressed our gratitude, and that's where the relational disconnect happens. And it's a really big deal. It really is. Because in our lives, both gratitude and ingratitude are relationally determinative. But you used that phrase over coffee this morning, right? Relationally determinative is not one of those phrases we use a lot, but here's what it means. Those feelings, gratitude and ingratitude, when we show them They are key drivers in how that relationship will progress. Those simple acts determine how much we'll trust somebody, how much we'll be open to them in the relationship, how much we're really willing to let them dig into the heartfelt stuff, our thoughts, our feelings, our attitudes and beliefs. And when we experience ingratitude, it creates this relational disconnect sends any relationship down a challenging path and one that is not too healthy. If you've ever been in a relationship with somebody who's consistently ungrateful, then you know 
they tend to think everything's going fine in the relationship when it's not. The ingratitude that we feel can build inside of us and becomes this resentment or anger, become any one of a number of negative emotions in our lives. The best example of ingratitude, I think, in Scripture is found in Luke chapter 17. Luke is the only one of the gospel writers who tells this event in Jesus' life. And I want us to dig into it this morning so we can get a clear picture of what that looks like and the damage it can do in our lives. So Luke writes this, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. One verse in, I need to stop and just make sure we're all on the same page. That we all understand for the story's sake that Jews and Samaritans did not get along. So much so that if you were a Jew traveling from the northern region, Judea, to the southern region, Galilee, Samaria was right in your way. And you would walk around. And if you chose the eastern path, you would walk through the desert to avoid making any kind of contact with a Samaritan. Why? Well, for centuries, there had been this belief by the Jews that the Samaritans just weren't up to their standards. For centuries, they had intermarried with people from other regions of the world, other faiths. And so they were considered by the Jews to be these half-breeds. What's more, they created their own faith, kind of a a knockoff of the Jewish faith with different rules and different regulations. They even built their own temple in Samaria to rival the one in Jerusalem. And so there was a lot of this moral and ethical and theological discord between the Jews and the Samaritans. They hated each other. And Luke says Jesus is traveling on this border between uh, Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into the village, two men who had leprosy met him. Now, we don't call it leprosy anymore. It's called Hansen's disease. And it's actually really still common in our day and age, but it's curable. In fact, 16 million people, 16 million people have been cured of Hansen's disease in the last 20 years. It's still out there and prevalent. But in Jesus' time, leprosy wasn't restricted to just what we know now as Hansen's disease. It referred to a variety of contagious skin conditions, and people feared it. Now, if you're one of those people that want to dig in and figure out what actually qualified as leprosy, and you want to understand you know, what the scabs had to look like, and what had to be oozing out of the sore, and how much of your body, you can do that. You can go to Leviticus 13 and 14. Those two chapters explain in there exactly what qualified you as having leprosy. I will not go into the nasty details of those two chapters. Some of you will go there right now and read it. I know you will. But here's the deal. Leprosy, once you contracted this awful disease, once you were said to have it, people felt you were highly contagious. And so you were sent outside of your village to live in isolation. You couldn't have contact with any other human beings. You even were required to wear rags for clothing, tattered clothing. And you had to leave your hair unwashed and disheveled so that from a distance people could look and go, oh, that guy's got leprosy, we got to stay away. And if by some chance they didn't notice you and they were getting close to you, you were required by Old Testament law to yell out that you had leprosy 
and they shouldn't come near. To be diagnosed with leprosy was to be given this long death sentence. You were put in a prison without walls. You became an outcast. And over time, the individuals who had leprosy decided, well, we can't be with other people because of the Old Testament law, so we'll just form these collections of people who have leprosy. We can at least be in contact with each other. So it really wasn't uncommon for Jesus to be walking along and find 10 people who had leprosy, just hanging out together. So when they saw each other, these 10 men stood at a distance, because that's what the law required, and called out to Jesus in a loud voice and said, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Pity is the exact opposite of envying someone's good fortune. Pity is when you feel a deep emotion for a person because they have some affliction, some disease, some problem in their life that they did nothing to deserve. That's what they're asking for from Jesus. It carries this idea of mercy and grace. Lord Jesus, have pity on us occurs a lot in the Gospels. Specific people needing healing, needing help from Jesus would call out to him with the phrase and every single time he met them and he answered their need. So it became kind of this confession of faith and a request for healing in one simple phrase. And what it tells us about these 10 men is they knew who Jesus was. They knew what he could do. And they were asking for his help, his healing power. When Jesus saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now that's weird, right? Because they had leprosy. They weren't allowed to be in a crowd. They weren't allowed to go into the temple. They weren't allowed to go to the priest. But in the rare case that your leprosy cleared up, that you were healed from your leprosy, the Old Testament said you were to go to the priest and he was the only one who could examine you and give you a clean bill of health. He was the one who determined that you could return to your family and the life you once enjoyed. When Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. Try to grasp the, uncert- the, the enormity of what Jesus was asking these men to do. They look down at their hands and their arms and they can still see the spots and the sores. And they know they have leprosy. They know Jesus is telling them to do something that right now they can't do. But they also had faith. And so they begin taking steps. We don't know if they took half a dozen steps or if they walked a couple of miles, but somewhere in that journey, they were healed. And this is where the story intersects this idea of ingratitude. One of these men, when he saw that he was healed, came back and he praised God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Luke throws in a little ditty here and says, by the way, he was a Samaritan. Can you imagine that whole process? Can you imagine what it was like for those ten men to be on their way to the priest and suddenly... They get a glimpse of their hands and their arms and the sores are disappearing before their very eyes. They're being healed. And nine of them take off running for the priest, running to get that clean bill of health, running 
so that the sooner they get to the priest, the sooner they get back to the life that they love and the people they love. Their response is completely understandable. But one, one of the ten stops, dead in his tracks, turns around, and Luke says he went back to find Jesus, to thank him. (laughs) And Luke's comment that he was a Samaritan was just an indication of how hard this was to swallow for the crowd. To believe that a Samaritan is the one who got it right. A Samaritan was the hero because Samaritans were never the hero of any stories that the Jews told. At that point, Jesus looks around and asks a question that everybody has been thinking. I imagine there's a little smile on his face when he says, "Uh, weren't all ten of you cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And instantly, every one of us knows there's something wrong in this story. Something wrong with the picture. Incomplete, open-ended, unfinished. Because we know that we teach our kids and we taught our grandkids from the time they were old enough to speak that when somebody gives you something, you say, some of you got that lesson. When they give you something, you say, thank you. It's just a simple lesson in life because every adult knows that until you show gratitude, something is missing in this transaction. Expressing gratitude is a huge deal in our lives because that simple action changes a relationship. Gratitude can help the relationship grow and develop just like ingratitude can eat away at the foundation of that relationship. And after Jesus asked those painful questions, he says to the man, rise, go. Your faith has made you well. Every time I read that story, I have the same reaction to it. Nine guys, nine guys get their lives handed back to them and they just keep going on their way. How ungrateful. And yet, I am confident that if we were to find those nine guys, go back in time, find them on their journey to the priest, and we said, hey, are you thankful that you're healed? They go, absolutely. We're so grateful for what's been done for us. The problem for them, for the nine, is the same problem that most of us have. It messes up our relationships. The nine felt gratitude. They just didn't express it. And it was such a big deal that Jesus pointed it out to the whole crowd. I want to give you just some simple takeaways from this story this morning on Thanksgiving weekend. Some lessons I draw from this. And the first one is this. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. It's not a neutral thing. You can't just stay on the fence. If we don't say the words, it doesn't matter what we feel in our hearts. People won't know and understand what's going on in our hearts. And actually, it goes deeper than that. Because psychologically, unexpressed gratitude is experienced as a rejection. Think about it. Your friend, your family member, your spouse or significant other does something incredibly kind. If we don't express gratitude, what we're projecting to that person is, I deserve what you did for me. You owed me that. 
You were supposed to do that. It's your duty. It's your role. It's your job. Why would I say thanks? You were just doing what you were supposed to do. And every time we do that, it dings the relationship. And all those dings pile up over time and feel like a rejection of their love, of their graciousness, and of them as a person. The way God's wired our hearts, we gravitate towards acceptance. We move away from rejection. And the result is that it is possible for us to ingratitude somebody right out of our life. Now, regardless of your personality, regardless of whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, if you're one of those people this morning who says, I just have trouble expressing my gratitude, you've got some work to do. You have to figure out a way to get outside what's going on inside your heart, to let the people you love know how grateful you are before those relationships are destroyed by the perception that you're ungrateful. Let me add one more thought to this. Unexpressed gratitude may also indicate an inflated view of self. If it's hard for you to sit down and tell somebody how grateful you are, or just say the words and have the conversation with them, how much you appreciate them, then you also have some questions to ask about yourself, to work through this. Because we're all smart enough to know that no matter what we've accomplished in life, we didn't get there alone. No matter how talented we are, no matter how hard we worked, no matter how ambitious or disciplined we have been, we didn't become successful in our lives, didn't become the person we are based on our own abilities. You have a list in your head of all the people who have helped you, contributed to your growth, your success along the way. I do too. And we owe them a debt of gratitude. It's not just enough to feel it, though. We have to express it. And I recognize we're not all going to do it the same. You know, some people have the words polished, and it'll be just beautiful, and for some of us it'll come out rough. Not everybody's going to do it with the same energy or the same emotion, but we all have to express gratitude, especially to the people who are most important in our lives. So what about you? What about you this morning? Have you figured out how to express gratitude? Have you made it a consistent habit in your life? Or to put it in the context of Jesus' story, are you the one who returns, who stops his forward progress long enough to come back and say thank you? Or are you going to be the nine? The nine who carried gratitude in their hearts but never let it go anywhere else. Will you choose to be the one or the nine. Let me get very personal and practical with this. Because the problem of doing a talk like this is that there are two people in the room. One of you is sitting here this morning listening to this talk and thinking about someone who's sitting near you. They may be in the row beside you, down the row from you, a few rows away from you. There's someone in the room. Maybe they were in first service. And what you're thinking is this, I am so glad he is here today. I'm so glad she's here today because what this is saying is so right. It's so spot on with how I feel and our relationship. I'm glad they're here to hear this this morning. Some of you are thinking that. 
problem is the other person, the person you're thinking about, is hearing this message too. And they have different thoughts going through their head. I know I need to express my gratitude. I know I need to work on that. And I am grateful in my heart. But here's the deal. If I do this today or I do it tomorrow, my family, my friend is going to know that I only did it because of the talk. So I'm going to wait. I give it a couple of weeks and I'll surprise them. <laughs> right? And while that logic sounds good on the surface, it's a cheap disguise for pride. Because we all we want to do the good thing, we just want to make sure that we get credit for it when we do it. And that is just pride. And I need to mention that this morning because if I were sitting where you are hearing this talk, that would be my temptation. To just wait a couple weeks and let the people I say this to feel like it was my idea. And if that sounds even a little bit like you, I want you to hear the other side of this this morning. Because if there's a person in your life that needs to hear your gratitude and they're in this room or they were in first service and they heard this talk and you don't express your gratitude, it's going to sting even more. They're going to feel even more unappreciated. So it is perfectly okay. Here's your free pass, right? So you can say to them today or tomorrow, you can say, hey, you know, that talk Greg gave is the first one that I've ever had that he made me think. The rest I just slept through. But I heard that one yesterday. And I realized I need to be more grateful toward you. And then you just go ahead and you tell them what you appreciate about them, how grateful you are. You work it through. You own it after that. But that gives you a free pass now, right? Because you've all heard it. Don't wait until you think you can express gratitude and it's your idea, right? Because these people know you. And they know it's never going to be your idea. And so just get on with it. Because if you wait until they believe that, you're never going to do it. So think really hard this morning. Who is in your life that you need to show gratitude to? Is there somebody in your life you've been taking for granted? Somebody you seldom express your gratitude to? And while you're grateful in your heart, there's something incomplete and unfinished about the relationship. Who needs to hear gratitude from you this morning? Maybe it's somebody who's helped you grow, change, help you become more than you ever thought you would be. And when you think about it, if it hadn't been for that person, if they hadn't given me another chance or given me that job or helped me, I wouldn't be where I am today. Or maybe you need to show gratitude to somebody who's put up with a lot of junk in your life. And they're the only one. And they've put up with stuff that nobody else would put up with. They hung with you through it all. And they're still there. And you know you're grateful because whenever you tell your story, they are one of the central characters in your story of growth and change. But you never said thank you to them in a formal way. I think every one of us would agree this morning, in principle, that we want to be 
the one and not the nine. I know I do. So to help us get started down that path to being grateful like that one, I have some homework, an assignment, a challenge for you this morning. Before this week is out, before we're back here again next Sunday, will you sit down and write three thank you notes to three different people, so three total. And when you write that note, the more details you put in it, the better. See, it's okay for me to write a note to my dad that says, Dad, I love you, I appreciate you, your son, Greg. That's perfectly acceptable when I'm a preschooler. Okay? I'm a little older than that now. And more detail helps the gratitude come across. Dad, I love it when you. I'm grateful that you. I'm grateful that you never, whatever the words are, for you. The more details, the better. And I know some of you are going to try to catch me after service this morning and go, you know, I'm not a note writer. So would it be okay if I just said the words to them or maybe, you know, type a message, send them a text with some emojis and some letters and, you know, does that count? For this exercise, I really want you to take a pen and a piece of paper and write them a note. I don't care if you tear paper off a garbage bag to write the note. Write a note. Reach out to those three people and say thankful. Thank you. Do that in a meaningful way because the written word is more powerful than the verbal word. And because expressing gratitude touches people to the depth of their soul. Both the one who's being thanked and the one who's thanking. My prayer is that for all of us through this simple exercise this week, that we can move past our fear of expressing gratitude. We can move past the awkwardness, whatever it is that's holding us back, and begin to live a more grateful life. Would you pray with me? God, in the busyness of our day, we just simply forget to stop and thank people around us for the things they do for us. We even forget, God, sometimes to stop and thank you for everything good in our lives. We forget to thank you, God, for all of our blessings, for the way our hearts are filled to overflowing with your love, for the ability that gives us then to love others and be loved. We forget to say thanks for the opportunity to see the wonders of creation, for sleep, for water, for a mind that thinks and for a body that feels. And God, we thank you for the things in our life that are less than we would hope them to be. Things that seem challenging and unfair and difficult. When our heart feels stretched and empty, God, and pools of tears form in our weary eyes, help us to rejoice. Help us to be grateful that you are as close to us as our next breath. And that in the midst of all the turbulence, you are there helping us grow and learn. God, in the depths of our souls, in this moment of silence, we thank you most of all for your grace and for your eternal and unconditional love. 
pray this in the name of God.